The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. So uh, President-elect Joe Biden is starting to fill out his cabinet. And we learned uh, just in the last few hours, really, that Joe Biden's secretary of state is going to be Anthony Blinken. And you are going to notice, as I tell you about Anthony Blinken, that this is going to be very, very different than Donald Trump's approach. Donald Trump's two secretaries of state were an oil executive and a right wing nut Congressman uh, Rex Tillerson and Mike Pompeo, respectively, as secretaries of state. Joe Biden is going to have a former deputy secretary of state who started his career at the State Department under the Clinton administration, has huge foreign policy experience and, quite frankly, is what you need temperamentally when you want to sort of calm the panic of our foreign allies after four years of a child in the White House with their sycophants following them around until they are no longer sycophants. Rex Tillerson, of course, being an example of that. Now, this doesn't mean we're going to agree with uh, um, uh, every cabinet pick that Joe Biden makes on policy. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But we are we are starting to actually select experienced adults here. And that's a good sign. We've also learned of two more choices for Joe Biden. Uh, They are Jake Sullivan for national security advisor. Sullivan was Joe Biden's national security advisor as VP and also worked under uh, Hillary Clinton when she was secretary of state. And then lastly, from what we know so far, we heard about Ronald Klain a couple of weeks ago as chief of staff. Uh, the the last choice I have to tell you about today is that Linda Thomas Greenfield is going to be uh, Joe Biden's ambassador to the United Nations. Again, all important positions for rebuilding relationships with allies. Uh, she is a 35 year foreign service veteran, and Biden, importantly, is going to put ambassador to the U.N. back on the National Security Council. This might not seem huge. This is one of those things that goes sort of to the character of how a president approaches international uh, organizations like the U.N. Part of Donald Trump's attacks on the United Nation included downgrading the ambassador to the U.N. so that they were no longer on the NSC. Joe Biden is going to put the ambassador to the U.N. back on the National Security Council. So a few thoughts so far on this. I'm seeing posts going around uh, about, for example, oh, my God, Anthony Blinken is against BDS, the movement to boycott Israel. How dare Joe Biden? Well, Joe Biden is against BDS. Who would expect that Joe Biden would pick a secretary of state in favor of BDS if they themselves are against BDS. That's kind of a strange reaction to have. Now, uh, uh, Biden, um, uh, Blinken rather, uh, is Jewish. And I hope that, oh, my God, he's against BDS is not merely code for, oh, my God, he's Jewish. I'll give the benefit of the doubt on that. Blinken did support the Iran deal. There are going to be some in Israel who don't like that. I think the Iran deal was good. Anthony Blinken supported the Iran deal. I was in favor of the Iran deal, and I think that that's a good thing. Now, secondly, this now starts to give us a sense of what the Biden foreign policy will likely be with regard to foreign superpowers, as well as different regions of the world. We're starting to see based on these selections of Anthony Blinken, as well as Jake Sullivan, etc., 
this probably means more time, effort and resources are going to go into the relationship with India, as an example. This probably means more time in Africa, where China has spent significant time and resources getting more involved with tech and infrastructure over the last many years. These are the type. I mean, it's, it's, it feels weird to even be talking with you guys in these terms today because we're starting to get back to policy. We're starting to get back to geopolitics, foreign policy, relationships between countries. It, it's like we this has been so sorely needed for a long time. Uh, Blinken likely will also have as a priority to spend more time trying to bolster Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador and Latin America in what ways we don't yet know. And then, of course, if it's Russia, China, Africa and Latin America, what's missing from that is Middle East. And there may not be I mean, this may not be an administration uh, and a State Department that is going to focus as much on the Middle East as the recent three administrations have. That doesn't necessarily uh, uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And of course, the devil is is in the details. Um, Trump. One interesting note is Donald Trump never extended an arm controls deal with Russia. And as a result of that, the incoming Biden administration is going to have about two weeks after inauguration to extend that with Russia, if indeed it is going to be extended. That's a big thing. And that's going to set the tone for a lot of the relate the three way relationship between the US, Russia and China. And that's going to be in the first couple of weeks of the Biden administration. So that's something to look at. Now, there's plenty of, of sort of good here, a return to normalcy, adults at the table, qualified people at the table. What's the bad? Uh, Anthony Blinken is no progressive. That's that's the reality. And uh, Anthony Blinken is more interventionist than I am, although Joe Biden has not shown an interest during the campaign in campaigning on interventionist priorities. We know that Blinken is more of an interventionist than Joe Biden ran on. And this is something that I'm not on board with generally as a rule of thumb. If you look at some of Blinken's past comments about Iraq seeming to be more in the mindset of the problem was how it was done rather than the fact that it was done at all. And that's something that I disagree with. And this is the way that uh, uh, we are going to get back into shifting to, okay, great, we've got adults back in charge. This is a highly qualified choice, and that's a good thing. But now we actually have to keep them accountable about what they do. Now, one one other thing. There was a hilarious reaction from a lot of people uh, on the right about Biden's choosing a no name. Who the hell has ever heard of Anthony Blinken? This is one of those things we're going to have to become reaccustomed to after the Trump uh, administration. Donald Trump regularly picked people because he saw them on Fox News or saw them on TV. It's okay to have people in positions of power that are not regulars on cable news and that may not be household names. That's fine. And in fact, in some cases, it can be better. And I think that it's a good thing that Joe Biden is already going in that direction. We've gotten very lucky or maybe better said we are very fortunate that as soon as December 11th or 12th, we are expecting that people will start to be vaccinated with one of two coronavirus vaccines that are believed to be 95 percent efficacious in preventing coronavirus. Now, with flu vaccines and other vaccines, we very often don't have near 
ninety five percent effective vaccines. And we are on the path to having multiple such vaccines for coronavirus. The AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine also announcing today that their data shows it is a 90 percent effective vaccine. So we are on the way to very soon having two vaccines going in the U.S. There's this third vaccine, which has a slightly different timeline that should be available relatively soon. And yet herd immunity is still going to be in jeopardy because of existing anti-vaccine sentiment, which could absolutely explode once the vaccine is available. So there's good news and there's bad news here. Let's go over everything we know. Pfizer and Moderna each have coronavirus vaccines said to be 95 percent effective. Huge based on phase three clinical trials. Now, the FDA and independent review groups are going to be meeting for three days, December eight, nine and ten to decide about reviewing the data and potentially granting an emergency use authorization on one or both of these vaccines. If they do that on December 10th, you could see people being vaccinated on December 11th or December 12th. We desperately need vaccines. The virus is out of control. We had a 24 hour period this weekend with 200,000 new cases. We have had 1600 to 2000 people dying per day once again in the US of the virus. And yet, according to the latest Gallup poll, 42 percent of Americans say they would not get the vaccine if there was an FDA approved vaccine today. That's really bad, because if not enough people get this vaccine, we are not going to get to herd immunity. And Dr. Anthony Fauci talked about this over the weekend when he appeared on CBS's Face the Nation. Let's listen to him explain it to the hope. Um, the scientific advisor to Operation Warp Speed said this morning we could have true herd immunity take place somewhere in the month of May as the vaccine is distributed. Does America go back to life as normal in May? Uh, you know, I don't think so uh, unless we do. And I believe you're referring to Monsef Salawi yes. who said that, and I totally agree with him. But there are, there are a couple of things that go into the effectiveness of a vaccine program, a highly efficacious vaccine. And we're there. We have two of them that have a 95% efficacy. The other part of the equation is how many people get vaccinated. So if you have a highly efficacious vaccine and only a relatively small 40, 50 percent of the people get vaccinated, Mm -hmm. you're not going to get the herd immunity you need. What we do need is we need to get as many people as possible vaccinated. And that's why we want to be very transparent for people to understand the independent and transparent process that got us to the point of saying which the FDA will examine it very carefully now together with advisory committees that are completely independent and declare with an EUA and ultimately a license that the vaccines are safe and effective. When the American public hears that, you should be assured that that is the case. And if you get an overwhelming majority of the people vaccinated with a highly efficacious vaccine, we can reasonably quickly get to the herd immunity that would be a blanket of protection for the country. So, of course, he's right. And people saying that this vaccine was rushed 
it wasn't rushed. This is a type of vaccine based on an mRNA platform that just takes less time to develop than traditional vaccines. The traditional coronavirus vaccines are also being developed. We're expecting them in the second half of 2021. This was not rushed and anti-vaxxers are going to be going absolutely crazy as these vaccines roll out and add to that people who just don't think coronavirus is serious enough to warrant getting a vaccine. Why? Well, because Donald Trump has been downplaying it for a long time. Now, of course, there will be uh, anti-vaxxers fear mongering about mandatory vaccines. There is not going to be a mandatory coronavirus vaccine. What you will be seeing and we're already starting to seeing it, starting to see it, is that many sports venues, concert venues, hopefully even airlines, we've heard from Qantas, which said they will be doing this, public schools maybe, who will say after a certain date, you need proof of vaccination to attend, come to a concert, go to school here, fly on our airline. You don't have to get a vaccine, but if you want to choose to come to a sports game here or fly on our airline, you will have to have a vaccine. Ticketmaster already announcing they are rolling out the infrastructure to be able to do that. Qantas so far, the first airline I'm aware of that announced that 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 is something they're planning to do. I'm hopeful that that will encourage sort of like as a carrot rather than a stick more vaccination. And of course, the difference between you having a vaccine that's 95 percent effective versus everyone having it is huge. If you have the vaccine and nobody else does and it's 95 percent effective, it means that one out of 20 times that you interact with someone with the virus in a situation where you could get the virus one out of 20, you will get the virus. If you go back to normal work indoors without masks and interact with a lot of people, You can quickly understand how a one in 20 shot at getting the virus, even when vaccinated, still leaves you quite vulnerable. If everybody has a five percent chance of getting it from everyone they interact to, by definition, you are talking about herd immunity. And that is a very, very different thing. The only upside, my last thought on this, the only upside to 40 percent of the country not wanting a vaccine is that it means a vaccine may be available for those who do want them sooner. In other words, me as someone who is not high priority on the vaccine list, if everybody wants a vaccine, I might not be able to get one until, I don't know, May, June even. If only 60% of the country want vaccines, it's plausible I could end up with a vaccine in February or March, although overall society will be less protected. That's the only upside I can see for the people uh, like me who are waiting for a vaccine. Uh, Let me know what you think. We will have more on vaccines uh, later this week. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at DPacman. The David Pakman Show at DavidPakman.com. A lot of the shirts you see me wearing on YouTube are actually made by a company called Teddy Stratford. I love these shirts, and that's why I asked them to be a sponsor of the show. It really is the most innovative shirt you can buy because most slim fit button up shirts give you this weird stretched out gap in the chest where the buttons are. You don't get that with the Teddy Stratford shirts because all of their shirts come with a patented zipper hidden beneath the buttons, which prevents the chest from stretching apart like that. But most importantly, just overall, it makes the shirt fit much better and look better. 
The carefully designed shirt is also cut in a way that improves the look of your upper body physique. It has a really nice, elegant, close fit that other shirts don't really give you. It also has a specially designed collar that won't fall down and lay flat, which I love. The difference all around with these shirts really is noticeable. Go check them out at davidpackman.com slash Teddy. The link is in the podcast notes and they'll give you 15% off your first order. If you use the coupon code Pacman at checkout, that's P A K M A N. For a limited time, our sponsor, Pure VPN, is offering you a huge 86% discount on a subscription, which comes out to only about $1.50 per month. Pure VPN makes you anonymous when you're browsing online, and you can trust them because they're the only VPN in the industry with an always on third party audit to verify that your internet activity is not being logged by hiding your IP address. Pure VPN keeps you safe from hackers and prevents you from being spied on by your internet service provider, social media companies, and even government surveillance. It also lets you watch shows and movies that aren't available in your country. Pure VPN is super fast. You can use it on all of your devices. And I can tell you firsthand, the app is really easy to use. And they have 6,500 servers across the world, which is more than any other VPN in the industry. Everyone should be using a VPN when connecting to the internet. And now is the perfect time to start because Pure VPN is giving you an 86% discount on a subscription, which comes out to only about $1.50 per month. Go to davidpackman.com slash pure VPN. That's davidpackman.com slash P U R E VPN. The link is in the podcast notes. The David Pakman Show at davidpackman.com. Remember that our program is mostly funded by individual memberships, one of which you can grab at joinpacman.com. The new coupon code is fresh start. I don't think I have to explain to you why that's the new coupon code. Use it to get a 70% discount from your choice of membership at joinpacman.com. So Donald Trump has now gone about a month without taking questions from reporters. He's been almost completely missing from the public eye. And last Friday, he finally did a so-called press conference. Now I say so-called because he could have really pre-recorded it and just played a video. He took no questions. There was no interaction whatsoever with the press that was actually in the room. The event was supposed to be about his work on prescription drug prices, and Trump somehow managed to hold it together for the first few minutes. And then he just couldn't. And you can see him trying to resist. But in the middle of reading from his notes about prescription drugs, he goes off script and he uh, blurts out that he actually won the election. Now, as a reminder, he didn't win the election. He lost by quite a bit. The entire event goes completely off the rails from there. Let's look at it. Here is Donald Trump mid sentence about big pharma running ads against him. And he just loses it and blurts out that he won. This is not an easy thing to do. Big Pharma ran millions of dollars of negative advertisements against me during the campaign, which I won, by the way. But, you know, we'll find that out. Uh, almost 74 million votes. We had Big Pharma against us. We had the media against us. We had Big Tech against us. Uh, we had a lot of dishonesty against us. But Big Pharma alone ran millions and millions of dollars in ads. In fact, I looked at it and said, who is it? Uh, they uh 
I won, by the way. I had dishonesty against me. It's truly embarrassing at this point. It's actually been embarrassing a really long time. He just cannot control himself. I won, guys. I won. Really, I did. Believe me. It's it's to some degree like he's trying to convince himself that he won a few other strange moments. Here is Donald Trump saying he's been loyal to special interests. I don't know if this is a Freudian slip or if Donald Trump thinks it means something different than what we think it means to say you've been loyal to special interests. I don't know. But take a listen to this. Lawyers, lobbyists and bought and paid for politicians. But I've been loyal to the special interests. I've been loyal to our patients. Yeah. So it, it's it's unclear if Donald Trump knows what that means or understands that typically you don't want to admit to being all about the special interests, uh, loyal to special interests in politics. But who knows? It's Trump. You know, it could be a Freudian slip. He might not understand what it means. He might be honest. He might be glad about being loyal to special interests. I don't know. Trump then also just can't get away from the me, me, me saying we are only this close to vaccines because of him. And in saying this, he instead of saying Pfizer, the pharmaceutical company, he says Pfizer, which is something else altogether. The Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. It's just a mess. No, I was put here to do a job and Pfizer and others we're way ahead on vaccines. You wouldn't have a vaccine if it weren't for me for another four years because FDA would have never been able to do what they did. Now, in fact, the FDA hasn't really done anything yet on vaccines. I hope people understand this. Private companies and universities have been developing vaccines. The FDA in a couple of weeks is going to meet along with some independent panels and they will look at the data from these companies, Pfizer, BioNTech, Moderna, Oxford, AstraZeneca is moving ahead very quickly, and they will decide in December whether these vaccines should get emergency use, as we've already discussed. So this is weird, and it's even getting stranger and stranger as it goes on. Donald Trump remaining very conspiratorial, suggesting that news of a coronavirus vaccine receiving approval after the election was part of the conspiracy to bring him down, that they could have announced this before the election, but it might have helped him. They didn't want to help him. So they waited. Take a look. Their vaccine, in other words, not come out with a vaccine until just after the election. That's because of what I did with favored nations and these other elements instead of their original plan to assess the data in October. So they were going to come out in October, but they decided to delay it because of what I'm doing, which is fine with me, because frankly, this is just a very big thing, a very big thing. What I'm doing here, I don't know if anyone's going to appreciate it. These people can't even believe it. Alex, even you can't believe it, can you? Look at you. So they waited and waited and waited, and they thought they'd come out with it a few days after the election. Uh, And it would have probably had an impact. Who knows? Maybe it wouldn't have. So Donald Trump, of course, as always, the ultimate victim, complaining that he doesn't get appreciation. No one has been treated less fairly than Donald Trump in the world, in the history of the world, of any president in history, if you believe his perspective. And he almost kind of backhandedly admits that he lost, saying if the vaccine had been approved before the election, 
I might have won. But of course, he's also trying to convince us that he did win. So he has to back up and say, well, maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't have had an impact. And then lastly, as uh, Seema Verma wraps up, she's just horrible. She's been a, a part of Donald Trump's coronavirus task force for a while. Uh, After Seema Verma wraps up, Donald Trump just kind of slowly slinking off after waving to someone in the audience without even saying the press briefing is over on a microphone, naturally not taking a single question. Success over the last four years is a testimony to that mentality. Thank you. Thank you, The election was three weeks ago. Joe Biden has selected a uh, Treasury secretary who he says he will tell us sometime around Thanksgiving. He selected a chief of staff. He selected a secretary of state, a national security advisor, an ambassador to the United Nations. Joe Biden has created and has started meeting with a coronavirus task force. And he's been speaking to governors about what are we going to do in terms of masks, in terms of the virus, in terms of all of this. And meanwhile, Donald Trump and his administration still have not even acknowledged, hey, we had an election. You aren't going to be president anymore in eight and a half weeks. They still have not acknowledged that truly bizarre times that we are living through. uh, I am very much looking forward to, as I said earlier in our discussion about foreign policy and uh, um, uh, Donald uh, Joe Biden, rather uh, choosing his secretary of state. I really am looking forward to getting back to more substantive policy discussion once we can get rid of this menace. And we are eight and a half weeks from it. So Rudy Giuliani is not the only whacked out lawyer representing Donald Trump in his futile attempts to overturn the results of the 2020 election, which Joe Biden won. There's this other lawyer named Sidney Powell. Now, last week when I noted Sidney Powell seems absolutely out of her mind during that bizarre press conference at which Rudy Giuliani's face melted. Some people wrote to me and said, David, you know, it kind of sounds like you're making fun of Sidney Powell's accent. Uh, I guess she's Southern. That's not what it was with any accent. The things Sidney Powell was saying make no sense. She suggested last week that there was a conspiracy to steal the election from Donald Trump by Joe Biden involving. This is not a joke. Venezuela and Cuba, the long dead Hugo Chavez and Nicolas Maduro, George Soros, Antifa, some guy named Eric Coomer and the Clinton Foundation. She seemed completely out of her mind. We now have more video evidence that she is indeed very sick. She was interviewed on Newsmax TV over the weekend. Newsmax is this even crazier alternative to Fox News that Donald Trump has been recommending along with OAN. And she claimed that they will be making a biblical filing about voter fraud against Donald Trump. She says the the filings are coming and they will be biblical. What does that mean? I have no idea. See if you can figure it out. You you know, I know you say you you want to do your arguing in court. You are an attorney. You're not a press secretary. But you all did have a press conference last week. Jordan Sekulow said that there's going to be a filing soon in Georgia that would be explosive. Can you tell us anything? Can you make some news with us here tonight? Tell us anything new that you're going to present in that filing in Georgia. Well, I, I can't say that yet, but hopefully this week we will we will get it ready to file. Sydney, what's and it, it will it will be biblical, biblical. 
Guys, we, we have to be allowed to call this what it is. These are delusions. This is mental illness. We can't say, well, because she's a Christian, this is not mental illness. A biblical filing about fraud in a court of law. Guys, please. This is where, you know, if this were not Trump's lawyer and this were not a Christian, if they said something equivalent to this, you would be looking at a 72 hour psych hold for an individual like this. She also said that there are likely thousands of people involved in the conspiracy. Have, have, I mean, how big of a you know, if, if if this happened, how big of a conspiracy, how many people would have had to have been in on something like this? Oh, gosh, uh, probably uh, thousands, including the people running the machines at each of the polls, polling centers. We know, for example, that one of the higher ups of Dominion went to Detroit the night of the election to to handle things himself. And we also have evidence that there were any number of VPN lines open to the Internet for foreign actors to be meddling in it. Yeah, thousands, thousands of people in on it. One of the things we know from experience is that when there are more than a handful of people involved, you can't cover it up. And yet we had the Texas governor offering a million dollars as a reward for proof of voter fraud. Nobody's been able to collect the million dollars. Their sworn affidavits keep getting dismissed in court. Courts keep finding there's no merit to any of these claims. If thousands of people are involved, there would be widespread, undeniable proof. You can't cover it up if thousands of people are involved. And then Sidney Powell goes back into the stuff about Venezuela, Venezuelan witnesses. Has anybody given you an explanation that that as to why they had to turn the machines off? You talk about how the machines no, got turned well, off yes, and then our, it was a our, our, Q, our, our witness from Venezuela who saw it all created and how it worked said that he knew as soon as the machines were turned off in those key straits, it was because we the people in voting Trump and voting for Trump in a landslide election had essentially broken the algorithm that had been pre-programmed into the machine. So they had to stop counting in those states. Did you hear that one? People voted for Trump so overwhelmingly that it broke the machine algorithms, whatever that means. She says Trump lost by six million and she's saying Trump won by so much that it broke the machines. This is a very sick person and sadly people fall for it. And it has even become too much for the Trump campaign. They put out a statement yesterday after this interview came out saying that Sidney Powell is practicing law on her own. She's not part of Donald Trump's legal team. She's not a Trump lawyer. She's essentially been fired because up until yesterday, she did appear to be all of those things. Donald Trump even previously tweeted about her that he has the best lawyers and representatives, including Sidney Powell, which we have up on the screen for you. It's just a hilarious comedy of errors. The Trump campaign now distancing from this lunatic woman as quickly as they can. But people fall for it. I got a very distressing email over the weekend from a viewer who said, David, my mom completely fell for that press conference. The press conference you and I likely watched and we see Rudy Giuliani's hair dye melting and Sidney Powell blaming Antifa and George Soros and, and uh, Venezuela for stealing the election. And we recognize these are ill people. This viewer's mom fell for it and thought that Sidney Powell is just a brilliant lawyer. 
doing God's work. And this viewer spent hours convincing his mom that that's not the case. It's really scary stuff. And as with Trumpism in general, the really scary part is the number of people just falling for this nonsense, hook, line and sinker, biblical submissions proving voter fraud against Donald Trump. Sad and scary. We'll have more about this on our Instagram page. We are at David Pakman show on Instagram. While you're there, you can follow me on Instagram as well at David The David Pakman show at David One of our sponsors is Four Sigmatic, the company best known for their delicious mushroom coffee. They're having a huge short lasting Black Friday sale right now when you use my link, which gives you up to 50 percent off. Four Sigmatic's mushroom coffee is organic, fair trade, single origin Arabica coffee with both lion's mane and chaga mushrooms. Chaga mushrooms have actually been shown to have potential in supporting the immune system in peer reviewed studies. I've been drinking Four Sigmatic coffee lately. It tastes nothing like mushrooms. It just tastes like delicious coffee. It's really easy on the stomach, doesn't give you a jittery feeling or a midday crash. And if you try it yourself, you will see why they have over 20,000 five star reviews. And best of all, if you don't love it, you'll get all your money back because they stand behind their product. You really have nothing to lose by giving it a try. Their incredible Black Friday sale is offering you up to 50% off plus an additional 10% off sale items, but only when you go to foursigmatic.com slash Pacman. That's F O U R S I G M A T I C dot com slash P A K M A N. You can find the link in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors is privacy.com. They're giving you $5 when you sign up for their completely free service at privacy.com slash Pacman. I've been using privacy for a little over a year now. You've heard me talk about it before. It's a lifesaver. And here's how it works. Takes just a couple of minutes to set up. Anytime you buy something online or on the phone, instead of actually using your real credit card number, the privacy app and the browser plugin let you give each company a randomized virtual credit card number that you create out of thin air. It'll even autofill the card number with one click and the payment is taken out of your checking account without the merchant ever knowing your real information. So this allows you to keep your banking information secure, but also to take control of your finances. You can create up to 12 of these virtual credit cards a month. You can set spending limits. You can freeze them. You can delete them anytime you want. So when you do this, it means you're not going to be charged when you don't want to be because you can destroy the virtual card number right after using it, which, for instance, I love using free trials because I know I won't be charged when the trial is over. If I use a virtual credit card number, you're keeping your identity private by not telling companies who you are. You're keeping your bank or credit card info protected against data breaches and identity theft. And it's free. There's no catch whatsoever. But if you want, privacy also offers a $10 a month plan that gives you 1% cash back and lets you create 36 credit cards a month and a $25 a month plan tailored more for small businesses where you can create 60 card numbers a month and much more. But definitely go ahead and at least get started with the free plan. You'll protect your financial info. Companies can't charge you unexpectedly. And like I said, 
you'll get $5 to spend when you sign up at privacy.com slash Pacman. Welcome back to the David Pacman show. So we finally got an actual press briefing from uh, Donald Trump's press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, on Friday, and she is apparently just determined to humiliate herself as many times as possible in the uh, eight and a half weeks that remain before Donald Trump leaves office. She took very few questions, lied uncontrollably and called a reporter an activist before walking off uh, the podium. Every aspect of the public facing communications from this administration have been debasing the office of the presidency in embarrassing and shameful ways. And I'm talking about Trump's tweets, Trump's press briefings, his press secretary's press briefings, his cabinet members like Mike Pompeo insisting there will be a transition to a second Trump administration, even though Joe Biden won. It's been pathetic and it's been globally embarrassing. And Kaylee apparently not doing what Donald Trump has been doing, which is mostly hiding from public eye. She continues to go on TV and now hold a press briefing, hugely embarrassing herself. So let's start with a huge whopper from Kaylee McEnany claiming that, listen, uh, Trump giving Joe Biden a peaceful transition isn't the issue. Trump was never given a peaceful transition by Obama or Hillary, I guess she means. Imagine that and then listen to this. Something that I would note is just we talked a lot about transfer of power and the election, and it's worth remembering um, that this president was never given an orderly transition of power. Um, his presidency was never accepted. Um, in wow, fact, before uh, the election, his election, we know Crossfire Hurricane was launched by Peter Strzok to pursue a baseless allegations about the president's ties with Russia. Uh, that's before he was president, trying to subvert the will of the American people. We know in August, Peter Strzok wrote a text message about an insurance policy against a Trump presidency, once again trying to silence the voice of the American people. Um, in 2016, we know in October that there was a FISA warrant, a FISA warrant taken out to spy on the Trump campaign. And then the American people spoke, and they spoke commandingly in electing President Trump despite all of the odds. It's hard to imagine a more dishonest claim about how the 2016 transition went. It's almost like they don't recognize that there's video of stuff. Hillary Clinton conceded the election and called Donald Trump to congratulate him uh, within hours of it being called. Barack Obama invited Donald Trump to the White House the day after the election, shook hands with him, had him in the Oval Office and said, I want him to do well. If he does well, the country does well. Barack Obama went to Donald Trump's inauguration and shook hands with Trump and then gracefully flew off in Air Force One. This is just a pathetic lie, and they don't even know what to lie about anymore. Kaylee McEnany made no mention of the fact that Trump lost. They still don't acknowledge losing. Here is reporter Brian Karam trying to question Kaylee. Uh, about this, and she just calls on somebody else. When will you admit you lost the election? Kaylee, at, at one point. The-, the entire event completely farcical. Here, Kaylee McEnany smears Caitlin Collins as an activist as she walks away after taking just a few questions. In 2016, and four years into his presidency. Thank you, everyone, for the very good and substantive questions today. 
You have to take I don't call an activist. I'm not an activist, and you haven't taken questions since October 1st, and you just took about five, Kaylee. That's not doing your job. Your taxpayer-funded job. It's actually hilarious that Kaylee says she won't take questions from Kay, uh, from Caitlin Collins because she's from CNN and she's an activist. And yet Chanel Rion from OAN gets to ask these conspiracy black hole questions. And Kaylee says, oh, Chanel is a journalist, but Caitlin is an activist. I mean, we're living in bizarro world here, quite frankly. Uh, Caitlin Collins from CNN actually summarizing it perfectly in a tweet where she said after the press briefing, it's understandable why someone who hasn't done their job taking questions from reporters in weeks would confuse someone else doing theirs with activism. This is really all just sad more than anything. And the United States is worse off for it. We have to move past it. We have to start repairing the country. And this next story is about Joe Biden trying to do that, at least as he sees it. And Donald Trump just can't take it, getting very triggered over the weekend once again. One of the reassuring things that we are seeing lately is that no matter what Donald Trump does, Joe Biden is steadily moving forward with a steady hand. He's having meetings. He has his own coronavirus task force. He's choosing cabinet members, including secretary of state, who we talked about earlier, Anthony Blinken. And this is so triggering to Donald Trump. It's very clear that Donald Trump is trying to pretend this isn't going on. He's golfing all weekend. He's otherwise not leaving the White House. He's uh, sort of been sucked into this world of his sycophants and yes men. But this really seemed to boil over during the weekend as Donald Trump unleashed a completely unhinged tweet storm. And this is really the stuff of his history books. We have never seen a sitting president react this way just to losing. That's all that happened. He just lost. It's nothing more. It's nothing less. Donald Trump tweeting. Why is Joe Biden so quickly forming a cabinet when my investigators have found hundreds of thousands of fraudulent votes enough to flip at least four states, which in turn is more than enough to win the election. Hopefully the courts or legislatures will have the courage to do what has to be done to maintain the integrity of our elections and the United States of America itself. The world is watching. Joe Biden is forming a cabinet because he won. Joe Biden's not even doing it particularly quickly. It's that Donald Trump is slow to acknowledge that he lost. There are not enough votes to flip a single state that we are aware of at this point in time, never mind four states. The world is laughing at Trump and crying at the downfall of American democracy in terms of a sitting president attacking the democratic process in this way. And the world is also rejoicing that Donald Trump will be leaving. Trump then continued tweeting, quote, it's all about the signatures on the envelopes. Why are the Democrats fighting so hard to find them? We will find massive numbers of fraudulent ballots. The signatures won't match. Fight hard. Republicans don't let them destroy the evidence. Every single one of these tweets flagged by Twitter as disputed, which, you know, as I said last week, disputed is like the understatement of the decade at this point. Uh, And then Trump furious. Apparently, he thinks he deserves credit for the upcoming vaccines and that Biden will get the credit. Trump saying they never thought a vaccine could be done so soon. But don't worry, they will try to give the credit to Biden. 
Now, of course, everyone thought that given these mRNA vaccine platforms, which are faster to develop, that the vaccine would be done sometime around end of the year 2020, that it is exactly what it seems like it will be, and that they will start to be more widely available in the first quarter of 2021. So everybody, everybody thought that if you were paying attention and then just Trump attacking Joe Biden more tweeting, Joe Biden was a total disaster and handling the H1N1 swine flu would never have produced a vaccine in record time years ahead of schedule. I mean, everything about that is a lie and would do a terrible job of vaccine delivery. But doesn't everyone already know that this went on all weekend in and out of golfing? Trump was tweeting agit trash about Joe Biden. It has to end. Joe Biden's forming a cabinet because that's what the president elect does during the 10 weeks between Election Day and Inauguration Day. Courts are dismissing Donald Trump's lawsuits because they are without merit. States aren't flipping because Biden won the states. You know that phrase threats foreign and domestic. This unwillingness to accept the loss and continued attempts to subvert the will of the people. This is one of those domestic threats that we are so often warned about. We have to protect against it. And so far, and I know we we have to be cautious, but realistic so far, every attempt that they have had to subvert the will of the people has not worked. I don't believe it will work. And I think we are just under two months from the inauguration of uh, President Joe Biden. Full stop. If you think the outcome will be something else, let me know. I'm on Twitter at D Pacman. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you love feeding your intellectual curiosity, but you're always struggling to find the time, check out one of my all time favorite apps called Blinkist. Blinkist lets you consume an entire book on your way home from work. They take thousands of popular nonfiction books, condense each one into text or audio that you can get through in just 15 minutes. And you get all of the important core ideas and information from that book. It's perfect if you don't have enough time to do all the reading you want to do or if you just want to sample a book before you buy the entire thing. I recently read A Brief History of Time, of course, by the great Stephen Hawking. This is a book that I have been aware of for so long and other things got in the way. And it was fantastic to check it out on Blinkist. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month and you get access to the entire library. But you can try it totally free and get 25 percent off a subscription when you go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Pacman. The David Pacman Show at DavidPacman.com. So one of the funniest things that we've seen since the election is this sort of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde bipolar Fox News, that Fox News on the one hand has the people saying Biden won and Trump's furious with them. And Trump is, in fact, so furious with that side of Fox News that he's been tweeting and advocating for people to go watch Newsmax and OAN instead of Fox News. 
But at the same time, Donald Trump still has a lot of friends at Fox News. And if you look at the nighttime opinion programming, Tucker Carlson, people like uh, Lou Dobbs, I believe, over on Fox Business during the day, Maria Bartiromo, Judge Jeanine Pirro, certainly Sean Hannity. They're still saying Trump won this thing and Joe Biden stole it with fraud. So it's just wacky because it, it, it is very it's bipolar in nature. Um, now, with all of this, it came to a head in spectacular fashion when bomb throwing conspiracy host Jesse Waters went up against Geraldo Rivera in uh, just a ridiculous assessment of the Rudy Giuliani meltdown interview or meltdown press conference where Rudy Giuliani's hair dye was melting and Sidney Powell said that there was proof from Venezuela and Cuba and, and George Soros. They're all involved in the conspiracy. That crazy press conference was so nuts that even Trump supporter Geraldo Rivera, even friend of Trump, Geraldo Rivera, had to say, listen, this these are conspiracies. This is over, right? This is done. And Jesse Waters didn't like it. And it just falls apart absolutely brilliantly. We'll see what happens. Come on, Jesse. I mean, really? Come on, I, I Geraldo. Mean, the Clinton Foundation, George Soros, Hugo Chavez. I'm, I'm probably the only person in this building I've actually met Hugo Chavez. The that late. doesn't that I didn't say evidence, anything though. about you meeting him. Hugo Chavez couldn't make that. the red lights I work in Venezuela. I talked about the sworn affidavits. But, uh, and an international conspiracy. Why not Elvis? You know, I you, didn't mention anything it, it, like it was, that. I'm talking sort of it. You're a lawyer. I, I You're a lawyer. The, I and as a lawyer, the, you I should recognize the, I the validity the president. of that. I wanted him to win this election. What I saw with Rudy Giuliani, who I've known for decades, was bizarre. It was unfocused. There was conspiracy theory, this and that. You can, you, when you have a, a evidence that you suggest, you, what's the lawsuit that that evidence attaches to? What's the action? You, you can't go to a court and say, it's fraud. Judge, prove it for me. Or is the FBI to prove it for me? They it's have not three the pending lawsuits right now in right. three different states that they're going to they, submit they drop, this evidence. They drop Michigan. And then there's going to be a judge that's going to rule on it's the not, you're, We're giving false hope. Geraldo, you as an American should want everybody to be confident Th in the results of the election. False hope. And if you don't pursue these fraud allegations, half the country is going to feel like it was crooked. That's you it, don't Megan. want that. And I so Jesse Waters says... If you don't pursue the allegations, the country will believe it was crooked. Well, half the country already believes that. And when the fraud allegations get thrown out, they're not going to say, oh, the allegations were thrown out. I guess there was no fraud. Of course not. When courts throw out the fraud allegations, these people instead say, well, the courts are part of the conspiracy. The courts are in on it, obviously. And uh, this is just like Sidney Powell said on the Newsmax interview I played for you when she says there are thousands of people involved in this conspiracy. Why not judges as well? So Jesse saying in order to make people confident it wasn't crooked, we have to let this play its way through the courts. No, no, the courts have become part of the conspiracy. And Trump's defenders keep talking about you know, the existence of sworn affidavits. Simply having sworn affidavits doesn't prove anything. Affidavits are a type of evidence. Affidavits are a type of evidence, much like witness testimony. Sometimes witness testimony and affidavits are admissible. Sometimes they are not. Sometimes they are credible. Sometimes they are not. The fact that there is an affidavit or 100 affidavits or 10,000 affidavits, it means nothing other than there is a, a witness willing to say something. That's all it means. 
it might or might not be credible. It might or may not be hearsay. It may or may not be admissible. Having affidavits doesn't mean more than that. And when you start looking into some of these affidavits that they have, some list, they've got lawsuits in Michigan listing towns from Minnesota. They have people signing affidavits who, when asked what happened, can't put together even one coherent sentence about what on earth is it you are even alleging took place here. And then you'll have, you know, Rudy and others say they signed these affidavits under penalty of perjury. People testify in court under penalty of perjury as well. Testimony is often disregarded as either unreliable or biased or dishonest. You rarely see perjury charges. Perjury is very hard to prove. You very rarely see it. It goes to proving that someone knowingly lied versus just misspoke. It's easier to simply call into question the reliability of what they say and ignore it if you determine it's not trustworthy than to go uh, charging people with perjury. And it's the same thing with these sworn affidavits. So listen, Geraldo is a total clown. He supported Trump. He is Trump's friend. He wanted Trump to win. So Geraldo is not now our go to guy. He's just sort of like imagine a group of drunk people at a party behaving insanely. Someone is bound to be the first to sober up. It doesn't mean that they exercise good judgment to begin with. They're just the first guy to sober up and say, what the hell happened here? Uh, And that's what is going on with Geraldo. But he was just as much a part of this as anybody else. I think you're going to find this uh, clip interesting. Republican Chris Christie, former Jersey governor, big Trump supporter, said over the weekend that Donald Trump's legal challenges, which, of course, are bogus. That's me saying it, not Chris, have become a national embarrassment, says Chris Christie. Christie previously said, I think it was very late on election night. If Trump has evidence of fraud, uh, he, he should be given the opportunity to present it. Christie now says he's been given the opportunity. He's not presented it. And this is now becoming an embarrassment. Take a look at this. After President Trump's speech on uh, early Wednesday morning, the day after the election, you said it's incumbent on him to come forward with the evidence. There have now been 34 court cases the president has lost. We saw Pennsylvania last night. We saw Pat, Pat Toomey, the senator from Pennsylvania, say it's time for the president to enable this transition. It's time for the president to concede. The president's response was to attack Pat Toomey on Twitter. Is it finally time for this to end? Yes. And, and here's the reason why. The president has had an opportunity to access the courts. And I said to you, you know, George, starting at 2.30 a.m. on Wednesday morning, if you've got the evidence of fraud presented. And what's happened here is, quite frankly, the conduct of the president's legal team has been a national embarrassment. Sidney Powell accusing Governor Brian Kemp of a crime on television, yet being unwilling to go on TV um, and defend and lay out the evidence that she supposedly has. Um, this is outrageous conduct by any lawyer. And notice, George, they won't do it inside the courtroom. They allege fraud outside the courtroom, but when they go inside the courtroom, they don't plead fraud and they don't argue fraud. This is what I was concerned about at 2.30 in the morning on Wednesday night. Listen, I've been a supporter of the president's. I voted for him twice. But elections have consequences. And we cannot continue to act as if something happened here that didn't happen. You have an obligation to present the evidence. The evidence has not been presented. 
And you must conclude, as Tucker Carlson even concluded the other night, that if you're unwilling to come forward and present the evidence, it must mean the evidence doesn't exist. That's what I was concerned about starting on election night. And I remain concerned today. I think it's wrong. I think what you've heard, lots of Republicans starting to say this. I said it on election night, and I hope more say going forward because um, the country is what has to matter the most. As much as I'm a strong Republican and I love my party, it's the country that has to come first. Wow, what a powerful message of national unity and togetherness from Chris Christie. Am I right? No, 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 I'm wrong. I'm, I'm that it's not that at all. They are now dropping like flies simply to preserve their own political futures. They're not rational or sensible now. They are abandoning the sinking Trump ship before it's too late. If they believed that continuing to push this was in their interests, they would keep saying it was stolen by Joe Biden. They care about themselves, period. They see the writing on the wall. These are terrible people. And this is now so absurd that some of them are starting to bail out. Chris Christie has been one of the most pathetic Trump brown nosers for the last four years. And now we're supposed to pretend he's one of the good guys. Give me a break. This is just like when you occasionally hear something mildly sensible on Fox News. It's still Fox News. Chris Christie stood behind Donald Trump literally and figuratively for four years, no matter what Donald Trump did. Trump's lack of taking the virus seriously is arguably part of how Chris Christie himself ended up not only infected with the virus, but in the hospital for a week or longer. Um, And then he still votes for Trump. And his reaction after the election was, hey, guys, let's show respect to the 70 million people that voted for Trump. And now he says, oh, it's become a national embarrassment. Okay, thanks, Chris. He's getting some distance from Trump so that it helps his political future. That's all that this is. It's fun to watch. It is interesting to the degree that it triggers Donald Trump. But that's all. And in fact, it's almost ironic to hear Chris Christie say Trump's legal team is the national embarrassment when Christie himself has been a national embarrassment for a very long time. And his pathetic. I mean, remember, Trump, much like Trump uh, disgustingly attacked Ted Cruz, saying his wife is ugly and went after Rand Paul and all these guys fell in line. Trump did the same thing to Chris Christie and Chris Christie ended up there the day after dropping out of the Republican primary in 2016, standing behind Donald Trump, completely falling in line. Chris Christie was part of creating this national embarrassment and is complicit in it. And he should have to apologize for that. Now, simply saying, oh, this is starting to be embarrassing. It's too little, too late, Chris. And if Chris Christie came out and said, guys, I've been complicit in this. I'm sorry. The entire presidency was a disaster. I don't know what happened to me, but I throw myself at your mercy in order to 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 be forgiven for what I did. I would find myself a little more moved by it if that was the case. This I'm not falling for this. This this is BS. And this is the the rats leaving the sinking ship. Uh, trying to trying to preserve their own future political lives. And it's pathetic. And Chris Christie is right, but it's too little too late. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. This is a very important voicemail. This is a voicemail from a Trump supporting Cuban American. 
And I want to take this seriously. Okay, listen to what this gentleman says, and then we're going to talk about it. Hello, Mr. Pacman. My name is Juan. I'm a Cuban American, and I voted for Trump. The reason I'm calling is to ask the following question, and this might help ease the concerns some of us have. Mm. What are Democrats doing to ensure or put at ease concerns of this country steering towards communism or socialism, like what unfortunately happened to Cuba and other countries? If Democrats are able to show some type of effort or talk about ways that they are trying to prevent that from happening, maybe that'll uh, help gain more votes from those concerned like I am. So this is really important because the framing of the question is completely wrong. Okay, this gentleman says I'm a Cuban American and I voted for Trump. And on my Spanish language show, we've been talking a lot about this. What what exactly is going on? What could be done to uh, for Democrats to better appeal to Cuban American voters who often reflexively out of anti Castro bias are quick to fall for claims that any old Democrat is a socialist or a communist when they are not? The question is the wrong one, because the question is what 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 have Democrats done? What can Democrats do to convince us that they are not really going to become uh, make the, the country socialist or communist? Joe Biden is not a socialist or a communist. Joe Biden has not proposed a single communist or socialist policy. There are no actual socialists or communists in positions of power in the Democratic Party in the United States. AOC has called herself a democratic socialist, and so has Bernie. And they are not not only are they a small sliver of the Democratic Party, they really are social Democrats. They're not advocating uh, for the socialization of the means of production. They are certainly not communists. So the problem is not that Joe Biden hasn't yet convinced us enough that he's not a socialist. There's no evidence There's no policy. There's no reason to think the current Democratic Party has any interest in making the United States a socialist country. The problem is too many people have been brainwashed to think that that's the case absent any evidence whatsoever. And so we need to deal with this at a a systemic level. Is it possible that if we better understood socialism and communism, people wouldn't fall for Barack Obama's a socialist. Joe Biden's a socialist is is part of it. An education thing Uh, is part of it. Irresponsible Republican campaigns that if you tell a lie enough times, it starts to become the truth. I don't know the answer, but when you hear that the question is so wrong, what 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 should Democrats do to convince us they're not socialists? What have they done to make you think they are not a single actual socialist policy. It's stunning and it's sad. And listen, I am not a socialist. I am not a communist. I have never been in favor of the Cuban nor Venezuelan regimes. Out of my own self-interest, I would be telling you if Joe Biden was trying to turn the United States into a Cuban or Venezuelan socialist situation, because I would be against that. I wouldn't vote for that. So uh, uh, out, out of my own views, I would be coming to you and saying, guys, there's a risk of socialism here. 
There is no such risk. And that's where this has gone wrong. And you end up with folks saying, I don't know that Biden has done enough to uh, uh, show me that he's not a socialist. Has he done anything to suggest he is? And the answer is, of course, no. We have a great bonus show for you today. We're going to talk about another retail chain filing for bankruptcy. We're going to talk about a very interesting First Amendment ruling involving Voice of America. And you are not going to believe what is going on with the My Pillow guy and the Kenosha shooter, Kyle Rittenhouse. All of those stories and more on today's bonus show. Get instant access by becoming a member at joinpacman.com. <laughs> 